All right. Well, since I'm since I'm not tied to this anymore, I may wander a little bit then. But they warned me not to get. There's one place in here that apparently I turned like radioactive and explode or something. Is that what happens? Um, I want to talk to you today about dreams as revelation. Um, revelatory dreams. I just think it's just a really, really fun, fun topic. Um, whether you've had revelatory dreams or not, really, really is, is immaterial. Um, because we can all profit from the dreams that have been received that are revelatory. And so, whoops, will you touch that off the screen? There we go, okay. Let's, there we go. It may, this may yet work. So, no, hold on. Am I still good? Okay. Sorry about that. Apologize to the folks that are watching in the overflow if the sound cuts out. But the Lord has many ways in which he communicates with us. This is Wilfred Woodruff, and you'll find as we go through this that Wilfred Woodruff is one of the prophets in this dispensation who was a very active revelatory dreamer. Wilfred Woodruff kept probably the very best journal of any of the early church members. And this journal has numerous revelatory dreams included in that, in that journal. And he says, frequently, as has been the case in every age, truths, principles, warnings, etc., are communicated to the children of men by means of dreams and visions. And this cuts out if I even move my head the tiniest bit. <laughs> I'm not, not a fan of this wobble um, But let me share with you what uh, Spencer W. Kimball said. President Kimball, also a revelatory dreamer. How do I need to hold my head there? Is that still okay? Okay, we'll try that. He said, some, some revelations come by dreams. And no, it's not fixing it, but that's okay. We still love you. Um, most of our dreams are flighty. In fact, Brigham Young one time, a woman came up to Brigham Young reportedly and said, President Young, President Young, I had a dream last night. And, he, and she explained this outlandish dream and tried to tell him that it was revelation for the church. And, and President Young reportedly said, Sister, what did you have for dinner? And, and she told him, and he said, well, I think that's the revelation from the rhubarb pie. He said, I don't, I don't think that revelation is from the Lord. But most of our dreams are flighty and have no meaning, but the Lord does use dreams for enlightening his people. Dreams are a legitimate way for the Lord to communicate with us. Now, as two friends and I, Mary Jane Woodger and, and Craig Mansill, uh, faculty members in my department here at BYU in the Church History and Doctrine Department, we got curious on this topic, and so we wanted to see what the brethren had said regarding revelatory dreams. <clears throat> because if it's a thing, and if they happen, then we, we presume that there would be some guidance from prophets, seers, and revelators regarding revelatory dreams. And so what I want to do is share with you, and I'm not going to go through all of the, the backgrounds and sources that's available elsewhere, but I just want to kind of give you just the, the bottom line, the Reader's Digest condensed version, okay? So here's what, here's what they said. Prophecies and revelators have taught that spiritual dreams will strengthen your faith. You're not ever going to have a revelatory dream, a dream from the Lord that is meant to teach you some gospel principle, you're never going to have a dream like that that's going to tear down your faith. Revelatory dreams will build faith. 
And let me just ask before we get too far into this, Grant, what time do I need to stop? I need to get this, I, I have the academic schedule in my head, and the Ed Week's just a little bit different. So if you'll tell me that when you find that, that'd be great. So first thing, dreams will strengthen your faith. Second is, they pertain to important matters. You're not going to get a revelatory dream about what kind of frozen peas you ought to buy in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. Because frankly, I'm guessing the Lord doesn't care if you, you know, do Green Giant or the Costco brand. It has to be an important topic. And you'll see as we share some of these dreams, these are important topics that, that deal with people's lives. Third, is that spiritual dreams align with the commandments. You're not going to receive a spiritual dream, prophets, seers, and revelators have taught, that is going to tell you to do something contrary to the commandments of the Lord. The revelatory dreams will, if anything, strengthen your desire to follow the commandments. The next thing is that there's a really good chance that if you receive a revelatory dream from God, it's going to be symbolic in some way, shape, or form. The Lord loves symbols, and he likes us to think about symbolism. And a lot of times your, your revelatory dream may have some symbolic elements in it, and that's okay. Look for that, and that will cause you to ponder it and, and think about it but, it, but it's not always a straightforward thing. Now, sometimes it may be straightforward. But it but can also be very symbolic. So Grant, what's the answer? 20 minutes after. Okay, great, thanks. So 125. Oh, he's trying to teach you five minutes. Grant, you're fired. Oh. Okay, 125. Oh, 120, you'll give me a high sign. Got it. Okay. We clearly communicated everything before we start. Spiritual dreams will need deep. Memories. Now, this is something that's really unique. You know when you wake up in the morning and you've had a dream, and the dream is right there when you first wake up, and then you, you go to brush your teeth, and you, you try to tell somebody in the family uh, the dream you had, and you go, oh, it was really cool, and I got nothing. It's just gone, right? A lot of prophets, seers, and revelators have reported, and in fact, President Nelson mentioned this, not too many conferences ago, that when he receives information this way, that it's very vivid, it's very detailed, and it's not like it's not as fleeting as a regular dream is. Now, he still encourages us to write it down so we can capture as many details as possible, as fresh and close to the event as possible, but they come with very distinct memories and details. There are dreams in which people have felt the warmth of the Savior's skin. They have felt the sun on their face. They've, I mean, just very, very physical things in the, in the dreams. Next, and President Eyring is the one that has taught this many times. Spiritual dreams often come early in the morning. President Eyring says it's in that period when you're not quite asleep and you're not quite awake and you don't want to get up. You know that time, right? We all had that this morning. And he said, that's, that's a time when it seems, at least to him, he says, that's when many of my revelatory dreams have come. Is right in that kind of twilight, right between full sleep and, and, and waking up. Well, again, the spiritual dreams can feel very real and physical, unlike other dreams. And they're often accompanied by spiritual feelings. 
But when you wake up from a revelatory dream, you may feel like you just had a spiritual experience. That you've just been in communion with the Holy Ghost. It's just, it's just different. As President Kimball said, as we showed you just a moment ago, most dreams are flying. And I would suggest that revelatory dreams are very rare. If you have a few in your lifetime, you know, that's, that, that's probably to, to um, be about the norm. This is not something where every week you should be expecting a revelatory dream. They're, they're pretty rare. And even for President Wolford Woodruff, who received many of these, there was often years between these revelatory dreams. Okay. Well, here they are. So for those of you that were taking pictures, I thought I'd make it easy for you in case I slipped past one too fast. Here are the eight items um, that, that we found, and, and I'm sure there are others we could pull out, but these are, these are ones that we found general authorities specifically addressing when they talked about revelatory dreams. So looking at James E. Talmage, the author of the Articles of Faith and, and Jesus the Christ and many other wonderful things, and by the way, it was James Talmage that formatted the probate price into its current form, put it in double columns and all that kind of stuff. He said it this way, visions and dreams have constituted a means of communication between God and men in every dispensation. So if it's been the case in previous dispensations, we shouldn't be surprised if it happens in this dispensation. And I will tell you it very much has. And so what I'd like to do quickly, though, is let's look at how are revelatory dreams appearing in the scriptures? And so since this is an Old Testament, come follow me here. I've got two Old Testament verses here that address dreams. Numbers, um, and he said, and this is Moses, and he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. And if we fast forward to where we're going to be in a few weeks and come follow me up to Jeremiah, Jeremiah says this, I have heard what the prophet said, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. Why? Because revelatory dreams are meant to bless not only the life of the individual that receives it, but often to bless the lives of other people as well. So as we look across the scriptures, just to save you having to total this up when you get home, in case you're curious, there are actually 14 dreams in the Old Testament. So this year in Come Follow Me, we are studying the book of Scripture that has more dreams than any other book of Scripture. In the New Testament, there are only six dreams recorded. And nearly all of them are by uh, Joseph, Jesus' stepfather. And in the Book of Mormon, we have four dreams. Now, the most famous dream, of course, is Lehi's dream. But there are three other dreams recorded in the Book of Mormon. And I would note that there are no dreams in the Doctrine and Covenants and no dreams in the Prolegrate Price. Okay, So that's the way it breaks down scripture-wise. So this year, and we're about to study soon in Come Follow Me, the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel has some very cool dreams in Daniel. Um, the other book that has most of them, and uh, the dreamers, by the way, Joseph. You know, Joseph, the coat of many colors. Uh, he has more dreams associated with him than any other uh, personage in the, in the Old Testament. Then Daniel is, is next, and then Joseph, Jesus' stepfather in the New Testament, and then Lehi is associated with most of the dreams in the Book of Mormon. Although there is one stuck in ether that you've never noticed before. Um, 
So what I'd like to do is, is as we were studying this and trying to find all these dreams, we found that they kind of fell into different categories. So we found dreams of the Savior, dreams about Joseph Smith's family, dreams about missionary work, and family history, and warning dreams, and instructional dreams, and dreams about callings, and dreams of comfort, and dreams about death, and dreams about opposition, and dreams about prophecy. And so what I want to do now for the next 40 minutes is to just share some of the cool dreams that we found. Okay? And so we'll take it by category. And let's start with dreams from Joseph Smith's family. Interestingly, Joseph Smith's family, and this goes clear back to Joseph's grandparents and great-grandparents, they recorded dreams. And many of those dreams have to do with, you probably would not be surprised, the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, one of my favorite dreams, and a shortened version of this is in is in uh, Saints, Volume 1, but it doesn't give the, the, the complete story. It happens in 1811. So Joseph Smith, Jr., the prophet of the Restoration, is how old? Six, right? So this isn't the dream Joseph Smith, Jr. receives. This is a dream Joseph Smith, Sr., his father, receives. And in this dream, well, it's recorded by Lucy Max Smith. Let me just read part of it. He says, I thought I was traveling on an open, desolate field, and it appeared very barren. As I was traveling, I thought I better stop and reflect upon what I was doing. So I asked myself, huh, why am I traveling here? Suddenly, a guide was at my side, and he said, and so I asked him, what can this place be? And my guide said, this is the desolate world. Travel on. The road was very broad and barren. And as I traveled a short distance further, I came to a much narrower path. This path I entered and traveled a little way in it. I beheld a beautiful stream of water, which ran from the east to the west. But I couldn't see the beginning or the end. And then I noticed that running along the edge of the water was a rope. Hold tight. And then at the end, I noticed a tree. It had beautiful branches spread themselves like an umbrella, and it had a fruit on it, kind of like a chestnut bird. But it was white. It was so white. It was white as snow, or if it's possible, it was even whiter. That language sound familiar? White above all that is white. I gazed upon it with considerable interest, and as I drew near, I began to eat of it, and I found it delicious beyond description. As I was eating, I said in my heart, I cannot eat this alone. I must have my wife and children here. They must partake of it with me. Accordingly, I went and brought my family, and we commenced eating and praised God for the blessing. While thus engaged, I beheld a spacious building standing opposite the valley we were in, and it appeared to reach to the very heavens. It was full of windows and doors, and they were filled with people who were finely dressed. And these people observing us pointed their finger at us in scorn and treated us disrespectfully and with contempt. Anyway, it goes on. Now, does that sound familiar? <laughs> Especially with the white fruit. I can only imagine Joseph Smith Sr.'s reaction when his son brings him 1 Nephi chapter 8. And Joseph Smith Sr. reads that. I've often wondered if he says something like, Wow, son, 
The book's good, but I've seen the movie. <laughs> he gets Lehi's dream. I mean, there's a couple little details. It's a rope instead of a you know rod of iron. But how cool is that? And what a testimony for him of the Book of Mormon when it's when it's translated. Well, let me give you an example of a dream that Joseph Smith Jr. has. Joseph records many dreams. You can find all of these dreams up on the Joseph Smith Papers website if you're if you're curious about them. Um, but this dream, um, Joseph dreamed, this is on June 13, 1844. This is 14 days, two weeks, before Joseph is going to be killed at Carthage. And Joseph has many dreams in those last few weeks, and they're pretty much all of the same character. I'm only going to share two with you. But Joseph says, I was riding in a dream in, in, by the temple in my carriage. I was with my guardian angel. And he said, we hadn't gone far before I spied two snakes that were locked together, each trying to kill the other. And I inquired of my guide, his guardian angel, as he called him, what they meant. And he said, those snakes represent Dr. Foster and Chauncey Higby. They, Joseph, are your enemies, and they desire to destroy you. And as you know from church history, the Higbys and the Fosters saw Joseph's destruction and were involved with the Nauvoo expositor, but Joseph had been warned in the dream. Another dream occurred, involved a, a bear, I don't know if it was a grizzly or not, but this was a little bit earlier dream that Joseph received, and he dreamed that he was placed in a pit with a bear, and the bear was trying to attack him. And again, there was a guide standing by the pit who warned him that the bear was the laws. William Law was his second counselor who apostatized right before the novel expositor who sought Joseph's death. An Irishman, very heavy robe, by the way. Um, but Joseph, again, was, was warned. <coughs> Joseph had other dreams about his business ventures. There's just all, all kinds of dreams. But in the interest of time, let me, let me share some different categories here. Let's look at some dreams of, of comfort, okay? Um, this is kind of a fun story. This, this story was shared by Elder Bednar. And Elder Bednar said there was a, a man in a, in a stake who just received a prompting that he should learn the names of all the young men in his ward. That he should just learn who they were. And so he, he said he did that. He took pictures of them and wrote their names down and memorized all the names on business trips so he could talk with these young men and call them by name. And, and then he said, um, he, he walked up to a, a young man that he uh, just felt prompted to talk to. And here's what he told him. He said, I'm not a dreamer. And I've never had a dream about a single member of this stake except for you. Because what had happened, Elder Bednar related that this man, after he memorized the names of these youth, dreamed that he saw one of the men in his dream, one of these young men, in a white shirt with a name tag, clearly serving as a missionary. Now what was surprising was the young man was completely inactive at the time. And so he saw him, went up to him, and said this. He said, look, I, I dreamed about him. I'm going to tell you about my dream, and he related the dream. And he said, and then, and I thought, this is wonderful. He said, then I would want you to tell me, to help me understand what it means. And so this young man hears this dream of him in a white shirt, clearly 
in missionary service. And the young man started to cry. And he looked at this member of his ward and he said this. It means God knows who I am. Isn't that a wonderful use for a revelatory dream? And it changed the course and direction of that young man's life. And you probably would not be surprised to learn that the young man served a mission exactly as the, the dreamer had, had seen. Well, let me, let me change topics here. Let's change to the topic of death. And for this one, let's, um, how about if we do a story from President Nelson's family? This is related in the uh, biography of President Nelson by Spencer uh, Condi. Uh, Elder Condi was a member of the 70. And so this is a dream. Um, Andrew C. Nelson is President Russell M. Nelson's grandfather. Okay, got that connection. So on the night of April 6th, 1891, Andrew Nelson, President Nelson's grandfather, said, I had a, a vision or a dream in which I conversed with my father who had died in January of that year. So this is April. His father dies in January. He said, my father came to my bed and he said, well, my son, since you weren't there when I died and I didn't get to see you, and I have a few minutes to spare right now. So Andrew interrupts and goes, uh, what have you been doing since you died, Dad? And, and, and Andrew reports that his father said, my son, I've been traveling with Apostle Erastus Snow ever since I died. That is since three days after I died. Then I received my commission to preach the gospel. You can't imagine, my son, how many spirits there are in the spirit world that haven't yet received the gospel. But many are receiving it, and a great work is being accomplished. And then President Nelson's grandfather asked, Will all the spirits believe you, Father, when you teach them the gospel? And he said, No, no, my son, they will not. And then he asked, Father, can you see us at all times? And do you know what we're doing? And President Nelson's grandfather said that he received this answer. No, my son, I cannot. I have something else to do. I can't go when and where I please. There is just as much and possibly more order here in the spirit world than in your world. I have been assigned a work and it must be performed. Well, Father, he said, we intend to go to the temple and get sealed to you as soon as my school is closed. And then his father said, that, my son, is why I came to see you tonight. We will yet make a family and live throughout eternity. And then he asked, well, how do you feel, Father? And he said, I feel splendid. I enjoy my labors, but I must admit, at times, I do get lonesome. But please know, it's only a short time till we'll see each other again. I don't know how comforting that comment was. But, <laughs> but he said, Father, is it natural to die? And he says, yes, my son, it is so natural to die, just as it is natural to be born. It's just like passing out of that door. He said he pointed to the door of the bedroom. Oh, Father, is the principle of the doctrine, is the principle and doctrine of the resurrection true? Oh, true, my son? Absolutely. True as true can be. You cannot avoid being resurrected. Father, is the gospel as taught by this church true? My son, do you see that picture? And he pointed in the bedroom to a picture of the first presidency then on the wall. Yes, I see it, Father. 
Well, just as sure as you see that picture, so the gospel is true. The gospel of Jesus Christ has it within it, the power of saving every man and woman that will obey it. My son, always cling to the gospel. Be humble, be prayerful, be submissive. Be true, be faithful to the covenants you have made with God. Never do anything to displease God. Oh, what a blessing is the gospel. Well, my son, I must go. Goodbye. Goodbye, Father. And he said, I then saw him leave the room, and I noticed that he was neatly dressed in a suit of light gray clothes, something he would never wear when he was alive. Isn't that kind of a fun story? Well, here's another one. This, this woman, her name is Barbara Smith Emerson, and she had a very famous son-in-law. Her daughter married a young man by the name of Ezra Taft Benson. Okay, so her son-in-law was the prophet. And this is, this is her story. She, her husband was a Danish convert. He was a jeweler uh, named Carl, and he died many years before her. She was visited by him in the dreams of the night. And she said, he had come to tell me that my time in mortal life was ending and that on the following Thursday, it was then Friday, so six days hence, I would be expected to leave mortal life. Now, she relayed that to her daughter, okay, up in Salt Lake. And the daughter said, Mom, you're just tired. And, and so Sister Amazon said, no, everything's fine. I feel wonderful. There's nothing to worry about. I just know I'll be leaving next Thursday. <laughs> so what she did, she said, is it okay Thursday if I come over to your house? I would like to pass away in the bedroom where the boys grew up, where I used to read them stories from the Book of Mormon. That's where I would like to die. And her daughter's like, Okay. So what Sister Amison did is she went to the bank and pulled out all her savings and paid all of her bills. She then went to church on Sunday, explained to the bishop what had happened, and said, may I say goodbye to the ward. I know it's not fast Sunday, but I would like to bear my testimony one last time and just say goodbye to the ward. So the bishop said, absolutely. She got up. She bore her testimony. It was such a powerful testimony. The bishop got up and closed the meeting. The next day, on Monday, she went and closed her bank account. She then closed and shut down her electricity and her gas to turn off on Wednesday night. What? And she settled all of her arrangements. She made all of her funeral arrangements. She paid for everything. And on Thursday, she went to her daughter's home. And she ate dinner. And after dinner, she said, you know, I'm a little tired. Um, you don't need to don't need to try and wake me if I'm if I'm resting. And she went up and died a few minutes later, exactly on the Thursday that her husband in the dream had told her that she would. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's look at a, look at another story here. Uh, this is a, a Collings, okay? So I don't know. We'll we'll take a show of hands, but as we were doing this, it seems that this is one of the most common revelatory dreams that comes. That people are are often warned, for lack of a better word, or given advance notice, or or told that they should start preparing to receive a calling. I've talked to several bishops that said, "Oh, I knew it was coming because I I, I dreamed it in advance." And I've talked to state presidents that said, "Yeah, I, I knew it was coming. I dreamed it in advance." 
Well, let me let me share a, a story here. Elmer Markey Peterson and Elmer Spencer W. Kimball were the were the long and the short of the Quorum of the Twelve. President Kimball stood about this high, and Elmer Peterson stood about that high. Okay, and so they were they were kind of Mutt and Jeff when they were together, and so they went out to organize a stake presidency, and they interviewed all day on Saturday. And they interviewed and interviewed and interviewed, and then they would confer between interviews and just shake their head and say, I, I, I haven't met him yet. I, I, I don't know where he is because it's now getting Saturday evening and I just haven't met him yet. And, and both of them had the same feeling. They then did some additional interviews and, and uh, then they met at about midnight separated for a few minutes, went out and prayed, and both came back together kind of at the same time, according to President Kimball, kind of said the same name, said, it's Brother X. I know it's Brother X. But Elmer Peterson then looked at his watch and said, yeah, it's midnight, and Brother X doesn't know he's the new state president, and he has to have counselors picked by 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they said, oh, and President Kimball said, I just don't have the heart to wake him up. I mean, it's gonna be enough of a shock to find out he's been called, but, but I just don't have the heart to go over there at midnight and tell him he's the new state president. You know, have a good night. We'll see you in a few hours. Um, so he said, let's, here's what we do. Let's go home. Let's go to our hotel. Let's go to bed. We'll get up early. And just after 7, we'll go to his home. And, and surprise. <laughs> and so they showed up after 7 o'clock at his home, knocked on the door, and they were greeted by the brother that was about to be called the state president. He was completely dressed and had his tie on and they said whoa you're just kind of an early riser and he said i knew you were coming he said my eight-year-old daughter came and woke me up early this morning and said daddy you have to get out of bed and get dressed because a very tall man and a very short man are going to ask you to be the state president and he said that was a little after six or so and so he said, I've, I've been awaiting your arrival. And uh, Elder Peterson himself, this is, I, let's see, I don't think this is, it's not a story that I put in here, but I'll just tell you quickly. Elder Peterson himself knew that he would be called to the 12 by a revelatory dream. He received a dream, he was a newspaper man, and he received a dream. The headline of the newspaper um, basically declared that he was called as the new apostle. And he woke up, he said, I woke up in a sweat. And, and he said, my first thought was, what scoundrel at the paper is playing tricks? And uh, he had a, a similar dream shortly thereafter. And, and so he received the call. He said, I, I just knew this was, this was coming. Well, let's give you, give you a, some others here. Let's look at a, a, a dream of prophecy. When, uh, and this is one of Wilford Woodruff's um, When the church moved, starting in 1847, here to Utah, um, Utah, and especially the Salt Lake Valley, there wasn't a lot there you could build with. Um, you know, not, not a lot of trees you could cut down. <laughs> um, they had a lot of mud, and then they were... Brigham said, the Lord wants us to build a temple. So the Quorum of the Twelve, um, it's recorded in their minutes, that they had great discussions on what does this temple look like? We're trying to build this in a desert. And the Quorum of the Twelve, at one point, 
uh, in the early 1850s had, had kind of decided that the temple should be built out of adobe. Can you, can you picture that? Can you picture an adobe temple? <laughs> and Wilford Woodruff, as the quorum was talking, as the quorum was talking, Wilford Woodruff got the floor from Brigham Young and he said, brethren, the temple will not be built out of adobe. It will be built out of granite. I have seen it in the dreams of the night. It has six spires and it's an imposing edifice and it will last through the millennium. It is a solid structure of granite. And so Wilford Woodruff in his journal said, I was able to talk the quorum out of building an adobe tabernacle or a temple because the Lord had shown me what it, what it looked like. Well, let's look at missionary work and conversion. Oh my goodness. Um, there, are, there are many, 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 many dreams involved with missionary work. Um, one that's not here, but I will just mention my in-laws, my wife's parents, served a mission in Ghana. And they said it was not unusual at all to go to teach someone and to have them say, I dreamed you were coming, or I dreamed that I would join your church, or I dreamed about a white building. Can you tell me what it means? They just said that just was, they learned after a while almost to ask, have you dreamed about us? But it was just very, very common for the, the saints there in Ghana to have dreams that involved missionary work. But here's what Orson F. Whitney said, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. He said, when my grandfather, Heber C. Kimball, and Orson Hyde, Willard Richards, and others went to England in 1837 to introduce the gospel there. They found many people prepared to receive them. Whole villages were converted. You know the story of John Benbow's farm where the United Brethren, over 600 individuals, joined the church at once. That happens multiple times in the, the nation of Great Britain. And then he said the Lord had prepared the way before them, before the missionaries. So the missionaries just basically showed up, taught the gospel, and baptized villages. And then Elder Whitney asked in conference, and how had he, the Lord, done it? How did this happen? And then he answered, he had given to some of the people dreams in which they had seen these very men landing on the shores of England. And when they came to them with the gospel message, these humble factory or farmhands knew they were servants of God because they had seen them in their dreams. Isn't that cool? President Eyring um, tells a story of, this is Heinrich, this is Heinrich Eyring. Uh, he emigrated to the United States from Germany, and um, he met the missionaries, as I recall, in St. Louis. I have to double check to make sure that's right, but somewhere around St. Louis, as I recall. And he listened to the missionaries and was very interested, but he knew it was a big step to get baptized, so he wanted to be absolutely convinced. And so he was kind of dragging his feet a little bit. And President Eyring said this in a general conference in 2014. After two months of careful study and prayer, Heinrich had a dream in which he was told he was to be baptized. He was told the day and the place and the person. And that Elder William Brown was to perform the ordinance. So he went to the missionaries, according to President Eyring, and said, hey, I had this dream. And you can guess what the missionaries said. And he was baptized in that place on that day by Elder Brown. Exactly as he'd seen in his dream. Well, let me tell you a dream. Heber C. Kimball was another big dreamer. Heber C. Kimball was serving in the Midlands in uh, Great Britain. 
And he had a dream in the middle of the night, and in the dream he said, I heard a distinct voice in the dream that said, you are wanted at Preston. Preston is um, over by Liverpool, and so it was a good ways away from where he was. But based on that dream, and Heber C. Kimball is another really frequent revelatory dreamer. We have many dreams of his. But based on just that dream, he got up the next day, dressed, said goodbye to the people he was teaching, and started walking towards Preston. And met the missionaries outside of Preston. And they basically said, well, where have you been? Been asking for you for a long time. And why did the Lord take so long to send you? But he didn't get any letter. He just he just got a, you know, a dreamogram, I guess, if you like. Um, here's another one. Um, it's... If you listen to mission presidents, most mission presidents have stories similar to this. And I just picked one here from Alvin R. Dyer. And he said that when he was mission president in Pennsylvania, that many missionaries were told something like this. I have been expecting you. I've seen you in my dream. So when the missionaries knock on the door, they just they just know they're coming. Well, here's another, another fun story. Uh, there was a, a woman uh, uh, and she was in a, a church study group, kind of a Bible study group, and they began the study group because she was kind of, she was very inquisitive, and, and the other members of the Bible study group knew that she wasn't entirely with the, the Protestant sect that she was attending, and so they would kiddingly ask her every time they had one of these Bible study classes, they would begin with, have you found the true church yet? And then she'd say no, and then they'd do the study class, okay? But what happened was, this was from a general conference talk, it says about two years ago, she reported, a woman appeared to me in a dream and said, you will find the true church. Messengers will come from far, far away. She was in Texas, and there was a missionary couple serving in the area of Texas where she lived, and they were from Alpine, and they knocked on her door, and they introduced themselves, and she was about to close the door. And just as she was about to close the door, the missionary brother said, I felt prompted to say the following. Please give us a few minutes. We have come from far, far away. And she heard far, far away, and swung the door wide open, grabbed him and brought him into her house, listened to the gospel, and she said, I was pleased to report very soon when they asked me the question, yes, and would you like to know more, <laughs> basically. Um, well, let's look at family history and temple work. I'm guessing within this room there are many stories that could be told of revelatory dreams where people in your family have had help from the other side. You know, you can't find a name, or you're stuck on a record, or you can't, you can't verify something. Um, Dixie works in a family history center. I'm guessing you hear stories like that fairly frequently. It's probably the second most common area outside of missionary work for revelatory dreams. But let me share with you what Franklin D. Richards said. How many are there who, when they have gone up and done their little work in the temple, and have wondered how they could get knowledge of any more, have had dreams given to them, telling them the very names of persons <laughs> they ought to do the work for. And I would say that I've, 
I, working in the Provo Temple uh, many years ago, several years ago, I, I heard several stories from patrons saying, this name I'm taking through, let me tell you the story about how I got this name. And then they went to look, and the, the exact place the dream told them to look was exactly where the record was found. So just, just some fun things. Well, let's do a dream about warning, because sometimes it's not just for comfort, it's to, to warn and to save your life. Um, this is, uh, over on the right, that's Ben E. Rich. His father was Charles C. Rich, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, uh, the guy that actually founded San Bernardino in California. Um, but Ben E. Rich, really interesting guy. We could take a whole, whole hour and talk about Ben E. Rich. But he was the Southern States Mission President when this story occurred. Um, he was sent out, he actually replaced, just an aside, he replaced the first Latter-day Saint chaplain, who was called into to Spanish-American War Service, and then he sent Benny Rich to replace him. But Benny Rich was out serving in Chattanooga, that's where the mission office was. And back in Idaho, someone that he didn't know named Frank Snow, and I've got Lorenzo Snow there, because I'm guessing there's some relationship, but I haven't been able to determine what it is. But the reason I have that there is Lorenzo Snow is prophet of the church, so he's, he'll figure into the story legitimately. But Frank Snow, up in Idaho, a farmer, has a dream one night. And he dreams that he sees Benny Rich, the mission president of the Southern States Mission, killed in front of him. He sees President Rich martyred, shot down right in front of him. And he said the dream was very vivid. He said, I went to my state president and explained the dream. The information got passed at Salt Lake, and Lorenzo Snow called him on a mission to the Southern States Mission. Frank showed up in the mission and met President Rich, did not tell him of his dream. I mean, hi, President, I'm here because I saw you killed. I mean, you, not something you do. But he was assigned to the District of Virginia, and he went to the District of Virginia, and he and his companion were out tracting. And as they were walking down the street, he said, and this is the actual house, I just picked a cool looking house, okay? But he said, Elder, I've seen that house before. And then he relayed his dream to his missionary companion. And he said, I saw President Rich killed on the front porch of that home. He said, we have to go knock on that door. He said, I have seen that house. So they went up and knocked on the door. And as they did, the, the people that opened the door said, hi, elders. Wow, this is great. We didn't, we didn't know there were elders in town because they were there for this conference that President Rich was going to hold, because there weren't normally missionaries in that town. They said, how'd you know we were here? So he didn't go into great detail, but he just said, we just felt impressed to stop at your home. And the people said, funny that you would come. Guess who's staying tonight at my house? President Benny Rich. And Frank said, I had the most uncomfortable feeling, and I had to then relate to them my dream and I asked them that President Rich not stay there. As they were talking, President Rich pulled up. And, pres and so he said, I mustered all my courage and I explained my dream to President Rich. And President Rich said, then Elder, I will stay elsewhere. And President Rich went and presumably got a hotel or something instead of staying free with the members. But that night, a mob assembled on the front yard of that home with the intent of killing President Rich. And so President Rich, at the conference the next day, thanked Elder Snow for saving his life. Isn't that interesting? So 
So it wasn't the person that needed the warning got warned. It was somebody miles and miles away. Well, let's, uh, let's look at another category. Sometimes you get dreams about opposition, and we get to understand a little bit about how the other side does things. Um, another big dreamer, a family of dreamers, was the Young family, Brigham Young's family. Um, lots of dreamers in Brigham Young's family. And Brigham Young often um, quoted in general conference uh, some of these dreams. And here's one of them. He said, my father, John Young, dreamed that he saw the devil with a looking glass or, you know, a, a mirror. It is, and the devil held it to the faces of the people. So imagine this looking glass that he's holding up to your faces. And it revealed to them everybody's faults but their own. So as you're looking through this, you know, liar, steal, cheats on their homework at school, whatever it might be, you know, whatever it might be, you can see everybody else's faults but your own. Now, here's what Brigham, one thing I love about Brigham's stories and dreams is he always gives you the moral. Here's the way Brigham said this one. He said, so long as I do the thing the Lord requires of me and do not stop to inquire what I shall tell to my neighbor as his duty and pay very close attention, that my words are right, that my actions are right before God, and that my desires are according to the Holy Ghost, I have not much time to look at the faults of my neighbors. Is not this true? Isn't that a great, isn't that a great dream? Well, here's a dream of instruction. Okay? Um, and I just think this, this one was shared by uh, President Kevin J. Worthen here uh, in a faculty in-service meeting in a university conference a few few summers ago. And so let me let me share this story. This is from a guy by the name of John Renault. And he said, in the middle of the night, I had a dream. And it was strong enough that it got me out of bed to my kitchen table to write it down, you know, so he wouldn't forget. Intuitively, I knew what I had seen in my dream was a drill. But I'm not a well driller. I was a finance major. And I lived in Southern California. My water came out of the tap. But I knew this was something that I'd seen in my dream that I needed to jot down. That, he said, was the first miracle. The next what happened when the next day, so he has a dream of the night, the very next day, he gets contacted by a BYU engineering capstone program. And they asked him if he had a program or project they could work on. Now that's kind of weird to a guy in finance, isn't it? And he said, the text they sent said, we sent you a CAD drawing. Can you open it? And I did. And when I opened it, I saw the drill and recognized it from my dream. It was like, whoa, there it is. How'd they do that? It was amazing. Well, he was a finance guy, but he had financial resources. And he bankrolled what became known as the BYU Village Drill Program. And they have taken this handmade drill and placed them and dug wells in many, many countries in Africa. And people that used to have to carry water many times on their head for up to 10 miles now have wells in their villages. And this well is simple enough that the people can repair it and it's hand-powered when they drill. But he was shown that in a dream, exactly 
as President Werther was explaining this to us, he said it was down to just the detail. He recognized the blueprint. He had seen it in his dream. And it came just the night before. I think that's just fun. Well, here's another, another dream of instruction. This one is from George F. Richards, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. He had this dream um, in 1946. He had a dream of seeing Adolf Hitler. And as you can imagine, there wasn't a lot of love lost at that point for Adolf Hitler then or now. But in his dream, Hitler was in the center of the circle. And he said in the dream that he walked up to him and he said, I am your brother. You are my brother. In our heavenly home, we live together in love and peace. Why can we not live so here on earth? And it seemed to me that I felt in myself, welling up in my soul, a love for that man. And I could feel that he was having the same experience. This is Hitler. And presently he arose and we embraced each other. And then he said, I think the Lord gave me that dream. Why should I dream of this man, one of the greatest enemies of mankind and one of the wickedest, but that the Lord should teach me that I must love my enemies and I must love the wicked as well as the good. Well, in closing here, because it's 25 after, right? So let me share a couple of dreams where people have seen the Savior in, in a revelatory dream. And the first one here is uh, from Richard Clark. Uh, Richard Clark was a member of the 70. He told this story about his, uh, let's see, it's his great-grandmother. And she lived down in southern Utah. And there wasn't a lot of love lost down there for people that married outside the church. And a young girl married outside the church, Gentile, as they called them at the time, and had a, they had a child shortly thereafter. And the child was sick and the mother was sick. And then the child got a little better, but the mother remained sick and couldn't take care of the baby, and the husband had to work. So Richard Clark's great-grandmother was a Relief Society president. She went to every woman in the ward asking for help to take care of this woman and her baby. And every member of her Relief Society turned her down. And so she said the woman needed help. If someone was going to do it, it was going to be me. And so she would take care of her children, and then she would walk to the home of that woman, and she would put all her dirty clothes, and put them on her back, and then take them home and wash them at night, and take care of the baby as best she could. She did it week after week after week. And she said one morning she just felt too weak and sick to go. However, as she lay in bed, she realized that if she didn't go, the child wouldn't be provided for. But she was so tired, she fell back in the chair and collapsed into sleep. She dreamed she was bathing the Christ child and glorying in the great privilege it would have been to have that opportunity. And in her dream, she heard the voice of the Lord saying, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, ye have done it unto me. Isn't that a great dream? Well, this is a dream from Orson F. Whitney, uh, later a member of the Coma of the Twelve. This is a dream as a missionary. He dreams he sees the Savior, and he runs out to the Savior, and the Savior's about to leave. First he sees him in Gethsemane, then the scene changes, he's getting ready to depart. And he runs out and he says, I clung to him, gazing into his face, for he was taller than I. I besought him fervently. Well, promise me that I can come to you at last. Smiling sweetly, the Savior said, 
That will depend entirely upon yourself. I awoke with a sob in my throat, and it was morning. And then he goes on to say, I realized I had been asleep at my post, and I vowed that day to change my life. Well, another fun story is uh, from Elder Ballard's grandfather, who was also a member of uh, the Quorum of the Twelve. And he said that, I found myself in the dreams of the night in that sacred building, the temple, meaning the Salt Lake Temple. And after a season of prayer and rejoicing, I was informed that I would have the chance to meet a glorious personage. And as I entered the door, I saw seated on a raised platform, the most glorious being my eyes had ever beheld or that I could have ever even conceived could exist in all the eternities. As I approached to be introduced to him, he arose and stepped towards me with his arms extended. And he smiled as he softly spoke my name. If I live to be a million years old, I shall never forget that smile. He took me in his arms and kissed me and pressed me close. I fell at his feet and bathed them with my tears. The feeling that I had in the presence of him of whom all things are in his hands, to have his love, his affection, and his blessings was such that if I can receive of that which I had a foretaste, I would give all that I am, all that I ever hoped to be, to feel what I felt then. Well, again, not all dreams are revelatory in nature. If you get one of these, wonderful. But if not, learn from the revelatory dreams of others. Well, let me just, just close by saying revelatory dreams are very real. And the Lord communicates with some that way and not with others, and that's okay. But we all can benefit from them. May we do so. May we listen to the prophets, seers, and revelators. I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much.